know, we always preach good news around here, but this, uh, this, this week is especially good news. And the good news is that it's no longer 2020. Hallelujah. And if we were gathered together here, uh, like we used to be, uh, man, I bet this place would be going crazy. I bet the, the refuge group and the tap would be right there in the front row like they usually are, and they'd be screaming and heckling, and somebody would be running the aisles. And it would be so great. And one of these days we'll get back to that. But uh, that is good news. 2020 was a brutal year. 2021 has got to be better, if only because it's not 2020. So there you go. And there's hope on the way. Now, we never, ever would start a series the last week of the year. That's unheard of. Here it is, the first, the first weekend of, of 2021, and we're in the middle of a series. Now, that's, <laughs> we've never done that before here. At the, I, I don't know if in the history of, of the church it's ever been done. Uh, so we set a precedent here. <laughs> Hopefully not. But, uh, yeah, we're in, we're in this series that uh, we're calling uh, salt, Being Salt and Light in a Changing World. Um, and I want to uh, entitle this message this morning, Purpose-Driven Suffering. Purpose-Driven driven Suffering. It's kind of a tongue twister. Uh, yes, I'm totally ripping off Rick Warren's book, Purpose-Driven Life. So what? It's a good title. A lot of other people have done it already, so I'm going to plagiarize it as well. Purpose-Driven Suffering. Um, and it may not appear to be <coughs> about salt and light at first, uh, but hang in there. Towards the second half of the message, I think you'll see what this has to do with being salt and light in a changing world. <coughs> Excuse me. Last week, we had Bruxy. I love that guy. I know you guys love that guy. He's just got a way of saying things. He's just like, he's so homey, and he's like a walking fortune cookie. He just has little pithy sayings that come out all the time, and he's just such a good teacher. Uh, and see, one of the good things that's happened as a result of this pandemic, a lot of bad things have happened, but uh, one of the upsides of it is that it, it's, it's, it's kind of obliterated the assumption that uh, to have a guest speaker means that they have to get on a plane and travel all the way over to where you're at and stay in a hotel and all that other kind of stuff. Well, that's just gone by the wayside. Uh, locality ain't what it used to be. Uh, it's, it's, and so now it's it opened the possibility of saying, well, look, we can have a guest speaker who, who uh, doesn't have to drive all the way down here or fly all the way up here. It's, of course, if they can be here in person, that's better, but, but it's not necessary. And, and so we had Bruxy here, and, and he gave a message that he actually had given before in September, but that's another rule we're breaking. Who says it always has to be a fresh one this week? If he said it great three months ago, how is it not great if it applies today? So, so that, was, that was a real treat, and it's always just a treat to partner with him. It's odd that now that we have to social distance, locality, uh, distance really isn't an issue anymore. Think about that. We, can't, we have to social distance, but that has opened the way now for like being a long distance away is now not irrelevant. Uh, thanks to technology, we can be in each other's churches and each other's living room, um, wherever we're from at any given moment. So Bruxy last week talked a little, uh, about the, 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 the patient ferment of the church based on the book by Al Kreider, uh, Patient Ferment. And Paul noted last week, if you saw this last week, that he has my copy that was signed to me by Alan Kreider. Uh, it, he, he was reading that book and he realized, discovered that it was actually my book that was signed to me. Well, this week I went and finally found my copy. And guess what? It's signed to Paul. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, somehow we, we swapped signatures or something, proving that we're both morons. Uh, pray that Janice never dies because she's the third person on this executive team. All right. So there you go for that. So, um, it just was showing that, that uh, the early Christians, they patiently engaged in practices to form their character, to form habitus, um, which is more than just habit. It has to do with making things, by practice, making something instinctive, habitual, part of who you are. The early church understood that beliefs are very important, 
But the function of beliefs, if they're truly believed, is to lead to a transformed life. And that transformed life doesn't come automatically. It takes intentionality. It takes discipleship. It takes work. It takes patience. It takes suffering. Because all discipline involves a certain amount of suffering. And so they understood that when you sign up to follow Jesus, the one who got crucified, you're signing up for a certain amount of suffering, at least in terms of being disciplined, saying no to things that you would like to say yes to, because saying no to it is what will form you in a more Christ-like way. Um, in fact, they understood martyrdom the same way. Even martyrdom, they knew that uh, uh, God would, would, this would bless them in eternity and that God would use this to bless uh, others. In fact, God did use them, their suffering to bless others. The way that they died in those Colosseums, many were just moved by that and, and said, I got to inquire into this. What is it that these, these people have? Their habitus, their character was just put on display in the most extreme situations, such as when they're facing uh, hungry lions. So I, I, I like to build on that idea, forming habitus and being willing to suffer um, in order to do that. And I want to take a look, uh, kind of launch off of this verse. It's a very common verse. It was a verse that was very important to the early church. And even though it's been interpreted differently at different times, it's been important in one way or another throughout all of church history. And I'll tell you that it's a verse right now that has become so very important to me, uh, like never before in my life. The verse is, is Romans 8.28. So some of you know this by heart, I'm sure, where Paul writes, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Been called according to his purpose. Uh, what I'm going to be teaching here, if you've been at Woodland Hills Church for, I'd say, two years or, or more, you've probably heard some of this before. Uh, but it bears repeating. Um, it's the kind of thing, and I have a little different angle on it this time. But I also want to share this because... I've learned that there's actually quite a few folks that have joined Woodland Hills uh, since we've been in lockdown. <laughs> I thought this would for sure cut down on attendance, but in fact, it's completely opened the thing up. Praise God for that. But so a lot of the foundational you know, teachings of Woodland Hills, uh, I wanted to be sprinkle those in on occasion because to bring other folks on board with that. And this is the kind of stuff that is good to review uh, at any case. In all things, God's working together uh, for those who love him and who are called according to his purposes. Note here that Paul says that in all things, God is working. Uh, God doesn't cause things for a purpose, or he, does cause, he doesn't cause suffering for a purpose. Uh, but, but when there is suffering, he brings a purpose to it. In all things, however they got there, whoever, whoever's choices brought these circumstances about, whether it's your decisions or someone else's decisions or the devil or whatever, however terrible they are, Paul says that God is in the midst of that to bring good out of that. Um, Whatever, whoever caused it, God is at work in it. Now this term at work, God is working all things. Uh, the term there is sin ergeo, sin ergeo. This is an important piece. Uh, sin ergeo is, um, in fact, can, can you put that on the screen? Yeah, there you go, it is on the screen. Yeah. Sin ergeo, uh, the, the prefix sin means together and, or alongside of. Uh, we get the word synchronicity, synonymous, you can put all those sin words are, uh, it has that together thing. So God brings together. Then the word for work is ergos. Sin ergos is the, the term here. Ergos, we get the word energy from it. It means um, energy, work, that which accomplishes things. So God is bringing God's ergos, God's energy, God's plans, all of that, God's abilities, alongside of our ergos. So we together, in synchronicity, work to bring about the good. As we follow God's leading, he brings out the good. But we have a role to play in this. 
Uh, some of the people listening to this message, I'm sure, uh, have heard of monergism and synergism. That whole monergistic synergistic debate. Monergism, uh, mono means one. And so monergism holds that there's only one energy, one ergos, one will working all things. And that's God's. And so these are the folks who believe that God determines everything, predestination. Everything we ever do, everything Satan ever does, that's all been predestined because God's the only one who's working it. Synergists hold that, no, God, uh, God, God's sovereign, but God sovereignly wills that there are, are, are agents who have their own ergos, their own ability to affect change. And as far as I'm concerned, this word here settles the debate. Are you a synergist or a monergist? Well, synergos. I want to cooperate with God to bring about a change, so I guess I'm a synergist, and I don't know what there is to debate anymore. <laughs> that kind of settles it. I know it's a little more complex than that, but you get where I'm going with it. Synergeo. So we have a, a role to play in this. It doesn't happen automatically. This is why, I think this is why, uh, why Paul specifies that it's only among those who love the Lord and are, have, have stepped into their call, uh, so they're living their life according to God's purpose. Um, God is active every, everywhere. His ergos is, is, is everywhere. Uh, Acts 17 tells us that he's working in every heart from the foundation of the world, been working in every heart to get people to grow for him and possibly find him, even though he's not far from any of us. So God is working everywhere and would love to get everyone. It's not that he just favors Christians and he wants to bring good out of their evil, but lets everyone else alone. No, he always is working for the good. But it's only those who, who, who've come to know who God is and know that God's in all things uh, and who are willing to yield to that, well, that's the only ones that God can successively bring good out of evil. And we're to be cooperating with God to, to bring that about. And the promise, the promise is that however terrible, however bad, however irritating, however ungodly, however wicked the circumstances are, however you got there, God is there. He's Emmanuel. He's Emmanuel in the good times and Emmanuel uh, in the bad times. Emmanuel is God with us. Is God with us in the light? Is God with us in the dark? Is God with us in the happy times? Is God with us in the nightmarish times? God's there. And he's always working to bring about some good, some advantage to you and to the kingdom. So here's the thing. We may not be able to see what that good is. And maybe we can't even understand how, how, how it could possibly be. Sometimes in the darkness, you can't see how any good could possibly come of this. But we don't need to see it. We don't need to understand it. What we do need to do is to trust it to trust that God's there. God's at work here. And somehow, some way, he gave this promise, however terrible it is, he's got a way of turning it to your advantage and the advantage of the kingdom. It may be in this life, it may be in the, in the world to come, but God is at work in it. Now, see, some argue that, that, that God couldn't promise this to bring good out of evil unless God was orchestrating everything. In fact, there's been several books that have argued this against my, my position, uh, they said that Boyd can't make sense of how God could promise to bring good out of every situation unless God's controlling everything. And so I want to take a moment and, tr and, and, and give you my understanding of how this is possible. God doesn't have to control everything to bring good out of every evil um, uh, because he's so smart. So it, it, uh, my Christmas message, if you uh, saw that, I talked about how it's possible for God to love every individual as though they were, they were, they were the only individual. That's because God's love is unlimited. God's love is infinite. And you can't divide that up. So God's love doesn't have to be spread thin to cover the number of people God has to love. Uh, if, his God, if his love's unlimited, all of his love can be on this person. And yes, all of his love is on this person. And all of his love is on this person as though each one was the only person he had to love. 
God's love doesn't get diminished because of the number of people that he has to, that he, that he loves. And it doesn't get improved because there's less people. No, he, he loves you as, as, as though you were the only one. And as I said on Christmas, I think, see, the Christmas story, there's got to be a dimension of this where there's a private space between you and God that is shared by none other. It's that ultimate intimacy with God. Well, that same reasoning applies to God's intelligence, God's wisdom, uh, God's ability to figure things out, to anticipate possibilities. Uh, you and I have finite intelligence. In fact, everyone other than God has a finite amount of intelligence. So you and I are going to be better at preparing for like two or three alternatives. Three things might happen. We've got to be, be ready for each one. Okay, we can probably do that. But if you have 30 or 300 or 3,000 or 3 million, well, now our, our, our ability to respond is going to be greatly diminished depending on how many possibilities we have to anticipate. But God's not like that. God can anticipate any number of possibilities as effectively as God would anticipate one possibility, which means that God can anticipate every future possibility as though it was the only possibility. Just like he loves you as though you're the only one there was to love. His anticipatory power doesn't get spread thin by virtue of the number of possibilities that he needs to anticipate. So whatever comes to pass, God has been preparing a, a plan to respond to that from the foundation of the world, as though it had to happen. And he does that in case it happens. But other things, of course, could happen. And if, that, if that's how it rolls out, well, God has a plan in place for those as well. He's infinitely intelligent. So it's like this. If, if you're playing, or if you're watching God play an opponent in chess, I don't care who the opponent is, however smart they may be, always bet on God. Always bet on God. Because God will anticipate every possible move that the opponent could make, because he's unlimited intelligence. The opponent can't do that with God, and so God's always assured of winning. I actually this week researched how many possible uh, uh, chess matches are there on a chessboard? How many, how, how many possible ways could the thing go down? How many possible games could unfold? And actually the number is they estimate, in fact, here, I got a quote for you. This guy, uh, Jonathan uh, Schaefer, he's a computer scientist and he works with AI using uh, chessboards and things like that to test AI, artificial intelligence. And he says, the possible number of chess games is so huge that no one will invest the effort to calculate the exact number. It's that huge. He estimates that it's 10 to the hundred thousandths, hundred thousandths power. That's 10 with a hundred thousand zeros after it. Now, just to get a little comparison here, they estimate that there are 10, point, 10 to the 24th power number of grains of sand on the earth. Uh, this is 10 to the hundred thousandths power. So it's just unimaginable. So whoever can anticipate the most possible moves, what might my opponent do and what will I do in case my opponent does that? Whoever can do that the most is going to win the game. And God's the only one who can do that in an unlimited way. Whatever, so whatever the opponent does, since God's anticipated that from the foundation, from the beginning of the game, as though it had to happen, whatever the opponent does, it's only going to serve to advance God's move towards checkmating the opponent. Everything will work to God's advantage. Now, if the opponent is really smart, for example, he's, he plays against Satan, uh, and Satan's pretty intelligent. Um, in fact, in church tradition, the most intelligent of all created beings, uh, at least was before the fall. But if God's playing Satan in chess, he may lose some pieces, because that's just part of the game. Uh, if, if, if you're playing a genuine person who, who, or a personal being who can make their own decisions, uh, you'll, you may have losses, but that's not a sign that you actually are losing, because even those losses 
God anticipated those losses from the start of the game and has a plan in place as to how to use that loss to his advantage. Everything will always move the game forward towards checkmate when you're playing an infinitely intelligent being like God. Every move. God never retreats. God never puts things on hold. God never has to start stepping back. Everything is towards an advance. Everything works in God's favor, at least in the long run. You may look, lose a bishop or, or a rook, but uh, uh, even in doing so, he's moving towards checkmate. Now, I think this is a perfect analogy for how God is sovereign over this world. It's significant that the Bible celebrates God's wisdom in, 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 in providence, God's wisdom in running the show, and God's wisdom in being victorious. It celebrates that wisdom at least as much as it celebrates God's power. So think about this. You only need wisdom if you've got to figure something out. You only need wisdom if you've got a problem solve. Um, you only need wisdom if you need to outsmart opponents. If you're controlling everything, you don't need any wisdom. I, if, it's, if it's in your power to do something and you do it, that, 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 I can wiggle my thumb like this, but you wouldn't think I'm wise for it. So also God could just control everything. Look, we think that we're independent, but actually we're just twiggling thumbs on God's, on God's hands. God could do that if he wanted to, but where's the glory in that? That doesn't take any wisdom. He's not figuring anything out. If there's a supposed war going on, but God's controlling both sides, there's no, there's no over and against this. There's no S-Y-N alongside of sin uh, in relationship. to there's, No, if God's controlling everything, no wisdom is necessary. You only need wisdom if you've got other agents that have their own decision-making power, their own ergos. And uh, I think the reason the, the Bible exalts God's wisdom, at least as much as it does God's power, is because God created a world where there are free agents, both human and angelic. And, and, and God's got a checkmate and goal. God's got a plan for the whole creation. It, it, eventually, the whole creation is going to display the glory of God. The radiant love of God is going to define every square inch of the cosmos. That's the checkmate. But there are agents who have their own agendas, their own plans, their own games that they're playing. And insofar as they're doing their own thing, they come into resistance to God's thing. And God, instead of coercing those, those resistors, making them to be compliant, he doesn't do that because he, gives, he wants free agents to be free. What he does do is he outsmarts them. He uses his infinite intelligence, his ability to anticipate every possible move to his advantage. So in the short run, there can be loss. Agents can thwart the will of God to some degree. And you get that all over the place in the Bible. Uh, Luke 7.30, the Sadducees thwarted God's purpose for them by refusing to be baptized. They had the ability to thwart God's purpose. They don't have the ability, to, however, to thwart his purpose for the whole cosmos. They can bring harm upon themselves, but they're not going to undermine God's total plan for creation. So, in fact, God's greatest victory in the Bible was, of course, the victory uh, of Calvary and when, he, when he brought about the defeat of the kingdom of darkness. And the New Testament is really clear on this, that that was a function of God's wisdom, not God's power. Uh, it, it, God didn't coerce Satan to do anything. He didn't def what he did is he used Satan's own evil character against him. So the Apostle Paul uh, says in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 6, that, um, that the, if the princes of this world, the, the principalities and powers, including Satan, if they understood the wisdom of God, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Because by means of that crucifixion, they are being brought to nothing, Paul says. In Colossians 2, he says the same thing, that it was by means of the crucifixion that the, the powers have been disarmed because our sin was nailed to the cross and the only thing they ever had on us was, 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 was our sin. So the, the powers, Satan and, and other powers, 
orchestrate the crucifixion, and the crucifixion is the thing that does them in. That's the wisdom of God. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.18 that the cross is the wisdom of God. It's also the power of God. It's the power of God's beauty being put on display that draws all people to himself. So, and then the resurrection is God's ultimate checkmate. Resurrection is, boom, you just lost your king, Satan. And the power of the kingdom of darkness is, implodes in on itself. So when, when people and when, when angelic beings, when, when Satan, when they resist God, it may result in, 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 in short-term loss. But in the long term, even those losses will move the game forward closer to God's checkmate. Everything works in God's favor in the long run. Paul gives us one uh, application of this in Romans 5, just so we can see how this maybe works in the context of suffering. Um, Paul says this, Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. He says, Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to his grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. Not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Okay, listen to this passage. This is so powerful. We don't boast. Now, Paul uses this word, kachalmai, kachalmai, I guess how you pronounce it. Uh, and it doesn't necessarily mean to brag. We use the term boast kind of to be bragging, like, oh, look how much I suffered or something. But the term, it just means to exalt something, to let it shine, to bring it out, to not hide it, but to, like, glory in it. Like, look at this. Not, not necessarily to brag. It can be translated as, as a confident celebration or a joyful exclamation. So Paul is here saying that since we're right with God, and we're, we, we're justified through Jesus Christ, and since we've been given access to the grace uh, uh, because of Jesus Christ, we exult in the fact that we have this hope of, sh- of participating in the glory of God. Now, that glory of God that Paul says that we will someday participate in, I talked about this two weeks ago, that's the glory, Paul says, that is so great that the sufferings of this present age can't be compared to it. They're rendered utterly insignificant in light of this glory. And so Paul says that that's where we, we, we celebrate that. We have a confident exaltation of that hope. But not only that, see, and, they, and that's the vision that is uh, the joy that sets before, that sets before him, as I sh- shared two weeks ago. Uh, that's the thing that motivated him on. That's the thing that made him willing to, to suffer. He knew where it was all leading. But he also knew that everything he was going through was moving him towards that goal, leading him in, in, in that direction. So he says, not only do we celebrate in that, but we, we, we have a confident exaltation in our sufferings. We, 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 we put that on display. Now, Paul wasn't a sadist who was into pain. Like, oh, I just rejoice because it feels so good when I get hurt. What he's, rezo- what he's rejoicing in, it's just like what Jesus rejoiced in in Hebrews 12, it was that he saw that this was leading somewhere. This had a purpose. The suffering is part of what was refining him, making him fit for this hope of glory that motivated him on. And so he puts that on display. He celebrates that. And then he says that that's suffering. And here's part of the display. That suffering, you see, it, it produces endurance. It produces a solidified kingdom character. Uh, and, and the more compatible we are with the kingdom, the deeper the reality of the kingdom becomes to us, the, more, the deeper that hope gets. 
And then that is confirmed by the Holy Spirit who sheds forth the love of God in our hearts. That's the down payment, the earnest uh, payment of our coming, coming glory. And so he gives us a little taste of that. And, and the more we move in this direction, the greater our capacity is to receive that love and to reflect that love. And all of that is preparing him for this hope of glory. So the suffering works to his advantage. In the short run, no, there's loss. Eventually Paul lost his life. But he, he, like everyone else in the early church, this is part of that patient ferment. Uh, they knew that this was building something. This was going somewhere. They knew that this would come back on them as every kingdom thing does, come on back on them throughout eternity as a reward. And they knew that God would use their suffering uh, to refine them and to impact the, the kingdom at large, uh, to, to bear witness to the truth of who Jesus Christ is to the rest of the world. So that hope does not disappoint. It's rather confirmed by the Holy Spirit in all things. God's working together for the better for those who love the Lord. Um, God doesn't cause these things for a purpose. No, in, in a fallen, screwed-up world with a bunch of free agents, suffering is just going to happen. Certainly more to some than to others. There's no, there's no rhyme or reason to it. It's pretty random who gets hit and who doesn't. But, but suffering is going to happen. And since it's going to happen, God says, okay, well, I will, since I can anticipate all of this, I will bring good out of this. If you'll just cooperate with me, if you'll just yield to what I'm doing, if we just can trust that, in fact, God can fulfill on his promises whether we can see it or not. And here's why this uh, passage has become so important to me. Um, it's important to me, but I'll also admit to you, because I promised you I'd always be honest with you, that I'm also struggling with it. Like I never have before. So uh, those who have been around the Woodland Hills for a length of time know that I've had chronic neck issues, and to some degree back issues. And that's gotten worse as I got older, and that was to be expected. Uh, but one of the things that, and, and, and in the last three years, it's been intensifying pretty rapidly, and this year uh, intensifying more rapidly than, than ever before. And so I've been in this cycle where I, uh, something goes wrong, sometimes I don't even know what went wrong, but lately it's been my back more than my neck. And um, uh, I, I go into physical therapy, and then I get kind of out of the pain zone, but then something invariably happens where I'm back in pain, and I go to physical therapy and get out of it and get some, sometime pain-free, but inevitably something else happens. And it uh, seems like it doesn't matter how hard I work at getting the core strength and stuff. It, it keeps on going downhill. Well, one of the things I found out in 2020 in this lovely year that, that just delivered gift after gift is I found out why I'm having these problems. I've got a condition. Uh, it's called spondylitis or spondylosis and it's a I've got cervical spondylosis and lumbar spondylosis cervical has to do with the neck and lumbar has to do with the lower back um, and the lower back right now is more the issue than, than the, 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 the top but it's a basically it's a degenerative condition um, and it's terminal they don't have any cure for it or anything uh, and on top of that I have psoriatic arthritis which responds to uh, things like scoliosis by Overacting, it's an autoimmune issue where my body, over, I get too much inflammation, which accentuates the pain of the whole thing. Uh, so it's, though I will work against this as much as possible, to be as pain-free as possible, of course, I have to come to grips with the fact that uh, I'm going to have to just learn to, to some degree to live with chronic pain. Uh, and that's what I've been doing most of this year. And those of you who have chronic pain, if it's significant chronic pain, uh, you know that, especially on the bad days, and maybe every day is a bad day for you. Mine come and go. You know, it varies, but uh, well, it's irritating. At the very least, it's irritating. 
you know, you get in the morning, you feel a stab in your back, and the first thing you get mad. I don't want to feel a stab in my back the first time I get out of bed. You have to choose to not become a curmudgeon, or at least I do. Uh, there's, a, there's a temptation there that just wants to say, screw it all, or just get mad at life, and really mad at this body because I took such good care of it, and this is how it treats me in my old age. <laughs> and I, 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 there's a pull in that direction. You're just going to... But I know that that's a dead-end road that I don't want to go down. Um, you know, but but, but you, have to, you have to choose to try to stay in a good mood and not, not be, be, be aggravated. A lot of you know what I'm talking about. Uh, but here's the thing that really concerns me, is that as this has progressed, I've begun to feel numbness in my feet and to some degree in my legs and more recently in my hands. And the thing that bugs me most about that is that it interferes with my drumming. Because I can play drums for pain. But you can't play if you can't feel your feet or your hands. And it's to the point now where after about 20 minutes of playing, I have to quit. And see, drumming, it's become so important to me the last couple of years especially. I've loved playing in my band, Not Dead Yet. We've been playing for 15, 16 years, and I just so enjoy that. So that's just a lot of fun. But on top of that, about five or six years ago, I I, I decided to give myself a challenge. I, I, I encountered speed metal drumming. And, and I thought, I want to learn how to do that. And I've been practicing this, and it's been such a joy because I'm learning it. I'm actually getting, it's the one area of my life that I'm improving on. And see, as you're getting older, you've got to say goodbye to thing after thing after thing after thing. You know, I had to say goodbye to my running, which I used to love because of the joint pain. And then I had to say goodbye to race walking, which I didn't love, but at least it kept me from getting fat, uh, burned calories. But I had to say goodbye to that, which means I have to say goodbye to my nice trim stomach, which actually left me quite a while ago, but it's getting worse. And I had to say goodbye to my hair. You say goodbye. Aging is the process of saying goodbye to more and more things until finally death arrives, in which case you have to say goodbye to everything. That's such a happy scenario. But see, so, so you, in, in, a, in a season where I've been saying goodbye to all these things, here's one thing that I'm not, not only am I not saying goodbye to it, but I'm actually improving on it. This is the one thing in my life I can do better at 63 than I could do when I was 20. My 20-year-old drumming self didn't know anything about this footwork. I'm just fast, you know, bass drum pedaling and, and all of that. So to get let go of that really feels huge to me. It's been one of the major encouragements of my life. And I am going to resist it like crazy. I'm, I'm fighting for this. Um, I'm holding out hope and prayer for healing. And in fact, I covet your prayers. I would love to be healed and testify about that. And so as God leads you, keep me covered in prayer, holding out that. And I'm, fight, I'm, I'm committed to resisting this. But and maybe I'll get this back. In fact, I, by faith, am declaring that ne- this year, by the end of the summer, NDY is going to put on a party, a post-COVID party, and we're going to rock the world, and I'm going to put on display my incredible speed drumming chops for you. How's that? And now i got something to work for. That's my goal. That's my target. Right? I'm going to work for that thing. But what if it doesn't come back? Or maybe it will come back for a little bit, but at some point you'll have to say goodbye to this because we have to say goodbye to everything. That feels really sad. And that's that pull towards negativity and towards anger. That's there. But here's where Romans 8.28 becomes so powerful if you can just get your heart and mind around it. So important. I don't think for a second that God causes this back pain of mine or my neck pain and all that. God didn't cause that. There's some people who maybe have something to do with that, but basically it's the corruption of nature. Uh, This world as we now is is under the corrupting authority of the principalities and powers, and this is one of the side effects of this. That's why Jesus always treated physical infirmities as being the outcome of demonic work. So so this isn't God's fault. 
But now that it's here, since it's here, that this is how it unfolded in my life, God, God saw this as a possibility, and he's been preparing a plan for it since the foundation of the world, in case it happens this way, in case things go down this way. It could have gone on differently, in which case God would have a plan for that. But the infinite, intelligent God knows how to use everything, every move, to his advantage and to your advantage if you're on God's side and cooperating with God. So, so as long as, I'm, as I have this pain, as long as I can't play drums and can't do a hundred other things that I used to be able to do, that I used to love to do, as long as I'm in that situation, the question then is this, can I believe, can I really believe, and this is what I've been struggling with, that somehow this can be good for me, this can be to my advantage, God can use this to do things in me that maybe couldn't get done any other way. Can I believe this, that in the end I'll be happy I went through this? If everything advances, God doesn't just play even. God doesn't just try to go back to the good old days where I used to be. No, he's always moving forward. Can this be used to move me forward and mature me in different ways? Can I cooperate with God uh, to frame this instead of getting angry and pissed off and disappointed and all the rest? And yeah, you, you have those emotions. But can you use this to... Can I work with the Spirit to produce endurance in me, uh, to solidify my kingdom character, to make me more humble, more Christ-like? To solidify my kingdom character, to deepen my hope in the world to come, in the kingdom to come, in the glory to come, to deepen that, to deepen my capacity to receive the love poured out by the Holy Spirit, and to, to, to reflect the love poured out by the Holy Spirit? Because if it does that, and it, 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 it proves me throughout eternity, how could it not be worth it? More than worth it, in fact, the glory that awaits me uh, is renders the sufferings and all the losses of this present age to be utterly, utterly, utterly insignificant. Can I believe that? I don't see how. I don't see. I, 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 I get a glimpse of this, but whether I can see it or not, and whether you can see it or not in whatever sufferings you're going through, the question is, can we trust? Can we just trust this? That God is, in fact, smart enough to pull this off. And I know some of you have got circumstances going on in your life that make my circumstances look like a little toe stub or something. You've got darkness to deal with. You've got chronic pain to deal with. But see, to partner with God, to sin or gale, to work with God to bring good out of evil means this. That you, you just, on faith, take it that your suffering will not have the last word. Your loss won't have the last word. Your despair won't have the last word. Your anxiety, your sadness... Your sickness, your infirmity, it doesn't have the last word. No, the last word Paul gives us here is, is the glory of God. It's the glory of God. The glory that will render all of this insignificant. And part of that glory, I'm sure, will be looking back and seeing how all of the suffering, all the things we went through, uh, how, how it moved us to this direction, how it arrived at this point, how God outsmarted the enemy at every, at every turn when we were willing to walk with him to bring good out of evil. And see, that, that I just find reframes everything. When I can just get, when I live in the long story, not the short story, you stretch out your story into eternity and just on faith, see what Paul saw, the glory of God that renders the suffering insignificant. Well, that just brings a peace. I can't yet say it brings a joy, I, but it does bring a peace, a shalom, uh, that this isn't just waste. You know, man, if, if this life was all there was, this would suck to high heaven. It, life would just be a bizarre joke. You're born, then you, you, you grow, you live, you, you fall in love with people, you fall in love with things, activities, whatnot, and then they slowly get taken away from you one by one by one by one until you finally die and lose everything. End of story. That would, 
Where, where is there any room to find joy in that? But when you understand that this is just the, the first stage of this thing, and this thing goes on for all eternity, we live in a long story, not a short story, and you can begin to see the glory uh, that awaits you, and, and you can trust that God will use all the loss and suffering right now to move you in that direction, well, then it's not a waste. It's not gratuitous. It's not senseless suffering. It's suffering with a purpose. It's purpose-driven suffering. God's not causing the pain for a purpose, but he's got an eternally prepared purpose to bring to the suffering. If only we'll recognize it, and cooperate with them to bring that good about. And it applies to us as a church in a huge way, I think. And to the church at large, especially in the season in which we find ourselves. Because the season in which we find ourselves, well, it's a season of suffering. Uh, certainly a season of huge inconveniences at the very least. But individually and collectively, all of us have been taking hits. So uh, because of this pandemic, church as usual is gone at least for the time being, church as usual. And probably is going to be like this for a couple of months to come. At least that's what uh, most of the scientists are saying. And it feels like a loss. It is a loss. Uh, if this was a chess game, this feels like we just lost a rook or a bishop. You know, the, the, the weekend gathering was, was important to us. And I, I miss it. <laughs> the energy of that and the fun of that. I can't tell you. I'm getting used to it a little bit here, but preaching to you know, three people in this room is really weird still, all right? I, you guys just don't give me enough energy. You know, come on. I, they, the crowd was so much better than you guys. The three amigos here sitting a little apart from each other. But, uh, but yeah, it's a huge loss. For some churches, I think it probably feels like a queen because they've taken a huge hit on this. Uh, and for some churches, I've heard it's actually losing their king. They lost the game. They shut down because of this. The weekend service was really all they had. Um, and see, our temptation, our temptation when we have a loss like this is to... Uh, Say, well, okay, let's just hunker down and wait it out. This is burrow down. Uh, maybe this is the time to coast, take a break, and we'll get back to church as usual here before too long. Meantime, let's just kind of bite our time. And I want to, as and strongly as words as I can, I want to rebuke that idea. Uh, say, God never retreats. He doesn't need to. He's infinitely intelligent. God never goes into a holding pattern. Okay, let's hang around here. No, he's always moving forward. And when there's losses, he uses those to move us forward. So this isn't a time to coast or to, or to, to say, let's wait it out and get back to normal. We're not getting back to normal. We're talking about a guy, the normal is in the past. God's looking, working towards a new normal because uh, he's always advancing. He's always got it, turning things to our advantage if we're willing to work with him. So this lockdown thing has been painful. But folks, if we, if we really believe that God is infinitely intelligent, well, then we have to see this as an opportunity it opens a world of kingdom opportunities. If we're coasting, we're going to miss it, though. We won't see the, the plan that God has in place. See, if you're waiting to get back to normal, then think about this. You're not working with God to move forward. You're in a holding pattern. You're not working with God to bring about a new and improved normal because you're waiting to get back to the old normal. No, God always is advancing. God always is improving. Uh, and he wants to improve church as normal. He wants to give us a new kind of normal. So the truth is, from the foundation of the world, before God ever created anything, God saw the possibility that there'd be a woodland hills, and the woodland hills would go through 2020. God saw all, every detail he anticipated. Now, it, it could have gone down a whole lot of other ways. And if they had gone down those other ways, I'd say the exact same thing about those other ways. God's been anticipating those things from all eternity. But this is the way it in fact went down. It is what it is, and so here we are. And God's been anticipating this as though it had to happen. He's got a plan in place. So the question we've got to ask is, what is that plan? What can, what can 
how can we partner with God to bring good out of this situation in which it feels like loss? What advantages can God bring our way? Here's a few that just come to mind. I'll end with this. Um, one advantage is this. We've, had our, our, we've lost the ability to gather on the weekend services, and that feels like a loss. It is a loss. I, I miss it terribly. But uh, for a lot of people, I think the weekend services may be too important. Don't know about Woodland Hills. I'm sure there's some at Woodland Hills, but certainly America, in fact, for a lot of folks, going to church, that weekend service is what it means to be a Christian. And a lot of folks view church this way where you go to church to hear a sermon and to, and to worship, and that gets you fueled up so you can survive to the next week. We get refueled up and so you can survive the next week. That is not the victorious kingdom life. The, the weekend service is really important. It's a great expression of the body of Christ, but it's not at all the totality of the body of Christ. Though we are inclined to think that way. So now that weekend service is shut down, well, this is a great opportunity to say, well, what else is there to being the body of Christ that maybe we haven't been doing as much of? What are the other ways of being the church in this changing world? What are the other ways of being salt and light in this changing world? Uh, finding other ways to connect, other ways to get involved. Um, this is not the time to coast, folks. This is the time to double down. If we can't meet in one way, without, let's look at all the other ways we can possibly meet. And what we're discovering is that <laughs> some of these other ways of meeting, we're wondering, why didn't we do this before? There's just some wonderful opportunities here. Necessity is the mother of invention, right? Especially when you, the Holy Spirit's working through you. And, and so he's opening our eyes to seeing ways of getting connected that we haven't seen before that are just beautiful and radical. Uh, precisely because location doesn't matter now. Uh, and so I, I encourage you to, and, and this will take intentionality on your part. It won't be done for you. You've got your own ergos you've got to bring alongside of God. These are decisions you've got to make. All of us have to make. Um, and, and, and so I encourage you to get on our website and look at the various opportunities that are available to connect. Uh, the g- gathering groups, uh, you know, you get spiritual friendships, um, refuge. Just look at the ministries that are there and ask, be, listen to the Spirit. Does God want you to be plugging into one of those? Because, see, not connecting is simply not an option, not if you're a follower of Jesus. Forsake not the, the, the assembling of yourselves together. That's what it says in Hebrews. Uh, we're so, so always be getting together. Well, we can't get together in one way, but there's a lot of other ways we can. And let's explore those and watch how God uses that to deepen us, to deepen our church, to, fill, to bring more endurance to us, to bring a more kingdom character to us, to weave the church more, more together. And another related advantage is this. Uh, ever since the lockdown, Woodland Hills has become much more international in terms of its feel. Uh, so, and I love this. It's like, since location doesn't matter, it, there, there used to be kind of this division. Like we had the, the attenders from the Twin Cities who come and attend here, and then we had the podrishners. That's our, our word for podcasters. Um, and some of the podrishners always felt like, well, you know, they kind of, not, yes, they like the church, but they're not really part of the church because they can't attend here. And they, there's that location thing again. Well, now location's been blown apart, and so we're all podrishners. And uh, that's just created a whole new frame of reference. How can we embrace these folks more uh, so that the wall between Padrishner and, and, and attender stays porous? Uh, we've got folks from other parts of the world who are saying, how can we become covenant partners? This is my church. And see, now we're, we're opening up the possibility in certain envision that someone in China could be part of Woodland Hills Church in Siberia, New Zealand, Africa, South America, wherever. Uh, and so when you get out of a, a gathering group, for example, you can't, Assume that you're going to be talking to all people from Twin Cities. In fact, you probably won't be. You might be talking to somebody from a different part of the country or maybe even a different part of the world. And that's got its own beauty, its own diversity. It's, it's, that's an advantage that God's bringing good out of evil. 
Here's another advantage. Uh, since we can't get together in the weekend service, and we've tended to put too much on that. I mean, the weekend service for a lot of churches is like overwhelmingly the, the majority of their budget. Well, when we get rid of that frame of reference, yes, what else can we do with that kind of money? But on top of that, let's ask the question, how might God want to use this period to, to impact you and me individually? Um, it's a time to open up your first questions. Maybe you've never been very disciplined in prayer. Well, this would be a great time to start doing that, to intentionally say, I, I, I bet it's true for most of us that God would like to have more time with us. Uh, let's use this time as a, a period of time to do that. Uh, maybe you've never been a, a disciplined Bible reader, but this would be the great time to do that. Maybe you've never really been involved in, in intentional spiritual disciplines. It's never been your thing. Well, this would be a great time to do that. Because uh, that's the rub of the kingdom right there. How, what, what's the quality of your own relationship with God? Um, and so you might... In, 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 Look into fasting or, or the Lectio Divina or, or going on, on, on silent retreats or any of the other disciplines that Christians have used throughout history to refine their character. They always involve some discipline, always involve a little suffering, uh, but that's what refines us to make us compatible with the kingdom and, and, and deepen our capacity to receive the love of the Holy Spirit being poured out into our, heart, into our hearts. Uh, follow the Spirit. Talk with others who you're in community with about how God might be leading you, but don't coast act. And even if you're not certain if it's this or this, take a step, take a risk. Because th this is one of the ways that God can use this period to be growing us. And the final thing I'll just say is this. I already mentioned how Brexit, we got rid of this paradigm that the guest speaker has to fly down here and that costs all this money and got to put them up in hotels and that costs money and all the other rigmarole. We're getting rid of this. And you see, what's happened is that because of this new reality we find ourselves in, uh, the line between individual churches is becoming more porous. Uh, this, we're, we're us and you're them. Well, it's open the possibility that, that you can have relationships, meaningful relationships, uh, and meaningful ministry sharing between churches that are very, very far apart. Because locality doesn't matter anymore. That's how we were able to get Bruxy down here. Uh, this is a great season for, for churches to start. There's been so much double shoveling going on in the kingdom, it's ridiculous. Every church has got to have their own thing. What if churches start sharing ministry, start sharing teachers, start sharing ideas, start sharing DNA? Uh, that's cross-pollinization. And, and see, in nature, cross-pollinization always, when, when, when there's DNA exchanges, it always strengthens uh, the, the groups that are cross-pollinating. Uh, we're, we're better in this, in, in the kingdom, everything was better out of relationship. And so the more relationships you have, the stronger you're going to be. I, I really think as we head in the future, I'm not saying this is a prophecy, but it is kind of a prediction, that as we move into this future, I think those churches that have forged meaningful networks on the internet, where locality doesn't matter, you're present in other ways. You, those churches that are, are sharing leadership, sharing ideas, and all those other things, they are going to thrive. Uh, whereas churches that still play the Lone Ranger, we got to do it all ourselves, I think are going to find themselves being passed up and, and dwindling, uh, going by the wayside. We've already developed... Not intentionally, it just sort of is happening. Our relationship with the Meeting House has been deepened. Uh, our relationship with the Jesus Collective uh, has, has been strengthening. Uh, Paul, Eddie, and I have been doing some conferences and teachings there as, as a part of that, which we can now do without traveling up there. It's just up to Canada. It's just, it's, it's just been amazing. So there's a world of good things that come, come out of this. Does it hurt? Is it painful? Do we feel lost? Are we lonely? Is there anxiety? Yes, all that's true. But that's not the end of the story. That's a rook. That's a, a bishop. Uh, but if you lose the rook or the bishop, it's always to your advantage if you're staying on God's side and cooperating with him. So I'll just end with this. I would like you, everyone right now just 
to think about one thing, just, and then you can later on apply this to every other thing, but one thing in your life that's painful, what comes to mind? A painful thing. I got a back problem. What's yours? Could be emotional, psychological, spiritual, financial, relational, could be anything. Get it in mind. Just let it be as dark as it is, as bad as it is, as ugly as it is, as painful as it is. Let it be that. But now I want to ask you, and I speak to your spirit here. Can you believe that God is in that, is right in the middle of that? And he has brought an eternally prepared purpose to that, that pain. He's Emmanuel. He's got in the midst of this pain. And, and can you believe that that pain can somehow work to your advantage if you'll just work with God? You don't have to see it. You don't have to understand it. But can you just believe it? Put it in the eternal f- framework. This will, if you'll just work with God, deal with God, humble yourself before God, God promises to take this and use it to your advantage and the advantage of the kingdom. And that will move you closer to the checkmate of participating in the glory of God. Surrend- surrender that pain to God. Right now, just... Lord, take it. It's yours. I will follow you through the cloud. I'll follow you through the sea. I will follow you through the pain. I'll work with you. Sinner Gale, I'll work with you to see the kingdom good that you're going to bring out of this situation. And watch how that just changes your attitude towards it. You can let go of the curmudgeon, grumpy, angry self and embrace a self of peace. Maybe even joy. Paul found joy in this. I'm not there yet. I'm not going to say I have joy in this back pain. But there is a shalom. And right now, that's all I got. <laughs> I'm going to hang out of that. Surrender it all to God, you guys. This is an opportunity, not the time to coast, time to double down. And let's see how God's going to grow us in this uh, COVID period in which we find ourselves. Lord, I pray blessing on every person listening to this message. And whatever the pain is, whatever the sorrow is, whatever the heartache is, whatever the infirmity might be, however thick the darkness is, I pray, Lord, that they can trust that you are there with them and you are working through the situation and you're, you hold good on your promises. In the long run, even this will move them closer to glory. And minister peace to them in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you guys. Love you. I'll see you next week.